Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today is week five of our current series, This Changes Everything. And the title of today's message is The Greater One Within You. We hope you enjoy today's word. Amen. Good morning. How are you doing this morning? Come on, can we give the Lord just a praise, man? Has God been good to you? Come on now, man. Here's the thing. He doesn't stop being good. He's faithful. Hey, over the last couple of weeks, we've been on a series entitled, This Changes Everything. And what we've been doing is we've been diving into the scriptures and looking to God's word and really digging into some foundational truths that the word of God reveals that encourage our faith, but also are intended to produce change in our lives. How many of you love change? About six of you. It's all right. It's all right. Listen, how many of you know we all need change? I didn't say you like it. We need it, right? We need change, right? I'm, I'm in the same boat with you. I'm not much of a person that, that easily likes to change, but I've learned to adapt. But listen, the truth is that change can be challenging, right? It demands that we take action, that we make decisions that we've been putting off. And ultimately, it requires that we let go of a place of comfort for a place that isn't always known, right? So change does not have to be so challenging if you think about it, especially when God is the one helping you to undergo it. So look, today we're going to be talking about a portion of Scripture that is crucial. And you know what what I find interesting? I was talking with a few friends yesterday that are in ministry over different parts of the country and all that, and and we were talking, and, and the question comes up, what are you preaching tomorrow? And we start talking about what everyone is preaching, and I'm like, God, they, you just can't make this stuff up. It's just like on point, in sync. Um, and uh, I write my sermons ahead of time now, so I find it very interesting that today I am sharing this message because it is a timely message. Today I want to talk to you on the subject of the greater one within. The greater one within. And so look, as we've previously learned, you are no ordinary person as a child of God. God has done something truly extraordinary, something great within you. But what he's done within you is supposed to affect change in all aspects of your life. I want you to join me in looking at 1 John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 as we get started here. This is kind of the foundational scripture from which we're going today. And it says, dear friends, tell somebody, he's talking to you. Tell somebody else he's talking to me. I pray you know that. Listen, he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges Jesus has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, somebody say, that's me. me. Listen, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world. 
And the world listens to them. We are from God. And whoever knows God listens to us. But whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So according to God's word, as we get started here, what we see is that there is a greater one within you. It's greater than what you feel. It's greater than what you see. It's greater than what you've gone through. It's greater than what you've been conditioned to. It's greater than the mindsets that we hold on to. It's greater than the habits. It's God at work in you. The book of Corinthians puts it this way. It says that he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. I need you to understand that you in Christ is greater than anything that comes against you. I said you in Christ is greater than anything that comes against you. It's greater than what you feel. It's greater than the circumstances around you. It's greater than the reports. And so consider this. I think that for those of us who have been around a while, especially when it comes to church circles and the Word of God, it's easy to get excited about this scripture that says, greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And you should get excited about that. But I want you to understand the context for these, for these words. The Apostle John is writing here, and what he's addressing is that just like there's a greater one within us, there's one who comes with great lies. So what he's addressing is false prophets. A prophet is someone who says they come in the name of God. They come bearing truth. Listen, that comes in many forms and fashions in this day and age. Right? It comes in the news. It comes through the opinions of people. It comes through general consensus. Right? what popular opinion is. It comes through many, many different avenues. But what you and I are encouraged to consider and to hold to in the Scriptures is this, that greater is he that is in you than anyone who comes lying and contradicting what the Word of God declares that God has done for you. That makes sense? That makes sense? And so, according to God's Word, There's a greater one within you. You're a child of God, and as a child of God, you are one with God. And this one that comes against you is one that comes in the form of men who come under the guise of truth. But their methods are driven by lies. Lies that cause you to question the truth in God's word, to cause you to question what God has already declared about you, to cause to question the truth about a God who's ready, available, and working in your life right now. Therefore, it's important for us to familiarize ourselves with the one within us so that we will not fall prey to any deception that threatens to detour us from the truth of what God has completed and where he's leading us. Amen? And so in the Bible, there's a story, there's the life account of a man named Saul. This guy Saul was the one who became the very first king of Israel. I won't get into all the details that led up until that point. I encourage you to go ahead and study this for yourself in the book of 1 Samuel. But what I do want to focus on is that there comes a point where Saul is now being declared king before all Israel. 
So you got to get the background of this. The people of Israel wanted a king, just like all the other nations. And God says, oh, okay, you don't want me? Well, I'll give you a king. No problem. So he provides a king. And the Bible says that he goes to the prophet Samuel, who was his point man, right? The one by which he spoke to the nation of Israel, the one by which he, he directed them and corrected them and instructed them. And so Samuel shows up and he, he, he comes to this place of meeting with, with Saul. And he tells Saul, you're God's anointed, you're God's chosen one. And he takes a flask of oil, which is very indicative in those days and even today even, the anointing is very indicative of what God has already declared. And so he pours oil on Saul. The Bible says that Saul immediately begins to prophesy like the prophets. In other words, there's, there's an evidence that the Spirit of God is upon him, that he's chosen, that he's anointed, that he's appointed. And so Saul has this experience. He's chosen by God. He's king. Nobody knows it yet. But what's interesting is that while Saul was destined for greatness, he suffered from a greater defect within. Saul saw himself as small. Listen closely. On the greatest day of his life, when he was proclaimed king by God before the people of Israel... And he's declared to be the one by whom God would bring about their deliverance from their enemies. This defect proved to be the start of his end. I want you to see what happened here. Look at 1 Samuel uh, chapter 10 verses 20 through 26. It says, Then Samuel brought, out, brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. And he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its clans. And the clan of the Matrites was taken by Lot, and Saul, the son of Kish, was taken by Lot. In other words, there's a process going on by which they're determining who's the one that God has chosen. That makes sense? And so watch what it goes on to say. But when they sought him, he could not be found. He could not be found. We got to wonder, why could he not be found? I'm so glad you asked that question. Listen to what the scripture says. So they inquired again of the Lord, is there a man still to come? And the Lord said, behold, he has hidden himself among the baggage. And then they ran out, they ran and took him from there. And when he stood among the people, he was taller than any of the people from his shoulders upward. In other words, this is the tallest guy in all Israel. And all the people shouted, long live the king. And then Samuel told the people the rights and duties of the kingship, and he wrote them in a book and laid it up before the Lord. And then Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his own home. And Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, and with him went men of valor whose hearts God had touched. But some worthless fellows said, how can this man save us? And they despised him and brought him no present, but he held his peace. So, there's a lot going on here, and I want us to consider exactly what is happening here. Prior to this monumental moment in his life, as I told you, Saul had an encounter with Samuel the prophet. He receives this message. He's chosen to be king. He knows this already. The day comes, the greatest day in his life up until that point. 
He's already chosen by God. He's about to be installed as king. And when it comes time to declare him before all the people, we find him hiding behind baggage. He's hiding behind bags. Listen, he was king, and this was confirmed after Samuel anointed him. He was king, and this was confirmed after he went on to prophesy and had the unction of God as an evidence. And as we just read, despite the choosing of God and the power of God upon his life, and despite his stature above all the people of Israel, on the greatest day of his life, Saul was hiding and trying to make himself small. While Samuel, the prophet, declared what God saw in Saul, Saul saw himself through the baggage he hid behind. He did not believe in God's anointing, his power, and his call upon his life. In essence, Saul chose to believe a lie about himself in place of the truth that God had declared about him. That's dangerous. Before we go any further, I'd like you to consider just a simple question for self-reflection. Do you view what Christ has done in you through the truth in God's word? Or do you view it through any baggage that you might still be hiding behind? Do you view what Christ has done in you through the truth in God's word? Or do you view it through any baggage you might still be hiding behind? I'll tell you what I'm talking about. By the way, keep this in mind. Baggage is heavy. Baggage weighs you down. Baggage limits your ability to move around. So when we start talking about baggage, it's anything that weighs you down to such an extent that you begin to take your eyes off of what God has already declared and done in you. You know, it can be insecurities. It could be erroneous beliefs. It could be hurts. It could be habits. It could be religious mindsets. It could be trauma. It could be prideful ways. It could be, it, it, it could be uh, uh, you know, uh, things you've been conditioned to. All these things. It could be habits. All these things that we carry, and it's like, I love Jesus, but I love my baggage. I remember many years ago, I preached a series, and, I, and, and the whole theme of the series was simply this. Here, here was the encouragement. Travel light in life. Travel light. Jesus said, come all to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. He says, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. He says, learn from me. Learn from me. See, there's something that God wants you and I to be free of. And for some of us, maybe you're not carrying baggage, but maybe we go back to it. Maybe we pick it up at times. See, how you see what God says about you makes a difference. And this proved to define the end of Saul's story before it ever began. There comes a point in his reign as king when Saul is tasked with destroying the enemies of Israel, people known as the Amalekites. And God gave Saul 
two specific instructions. The first was, kill all the Amalekites. Do not spare not one of them. And the second one was, kill all the animals that belong to the Amalekites. Doesn't matter their age, doesn't matter who they are, doesn't matter whether they're healthy or weak, kill them all. And although God's instruction was clear, Saul's view of himself proved to be his undoing. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Samuel 15, verses 4 through 28. Starting at verse 4, we see that Saul summoned the men and mustered them at Telaim. 200,000 foot soldiers and 10,000 from Judah. So he's got 210,000 men. And Saul went to the city of Amalek and set up an ambush in the ravine. Then he said to the Kenites, go away, leave the Amalekites so that I do not destroy you along with them. For you showed kindness to all the Israelites when they came up out of Egypt. And so the Kenites moved away from the Amalekites. And then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, near the eastern border of Egypt. He took Agag, king of the Amalekites, alive, and all his people he totally destroyed with the sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and the lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. Listen to what God says. He says, I regret that I have made Saul king. Because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul. But he was told, Saul has gone to Carmel. Listen to this. There he has set up a monument in his own honor. And has turned and gone down to Gilgal. When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of sheep in my ears? What is this lowing of cattle that I hear? And Saul answered, The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites. They spared the best of the sheep and cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But we totally destroyed the rest. Enough, Samuel said to Saul. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Tell me, Saul said. Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes, did you not become the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, go and completely destroy those wicked people, the Amalekites. Wage war against them until you have wiped them out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord? But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. And the soldiers took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. But you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you as king. 
And then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have violated the Lord's command and your instructions. I was afraid of the men. And so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to him, I will not go back with you. You have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you as king over Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught hold of the hem of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors, to one better than you. After going into battle with 210,000 men, it seemed to everyone that Saul had won a great victory, but it was his greatest loss. It was his greatest loss. Saul did not carry out what God had commanded him. And the reason why he did it was because Saul lacked the ability to see what God saw in him. God called him king, and yet he lived as a coward. God called him the head of Israel, yet he subjected himself under the foot of men. So after the battle, what we find is where this was all going wrong. Verse 12, you can put that up for us. I'll just allude to it. It says this, that when the prophet Samuel comes looking for Saul, they say, he's at Carmel. And he's having a worship service. Oh, praise me. Oh, praise me. I am holy. I am holy. Oh, I worship me. Almighty God, there is none like me. My man built a statue unto himself. And he stood before it and he goes, oh, how marvelous art thou. He worshiped himself. And so when Saul confronts him and calls him out on his failure to carry out what God had instructed him, we see the source of his struggle. Look at verse 24. He says, I violated the Lord's command and your instructions. Why? I was afraid of the men, and so I gave in to them. I don't know if you caught this, but when the prophet Samuel calls him out on where he went wrong, Saul distinctly tells us how he views God. He says, the Lord, your God, not my God. See, Saul chose the lie of acclaim and esteem in the sight of the people and in his own sight in place of the anointing and calling that God had placed on him. Saul was supposed to win this battle, but instead he lost it all. And the truth is that like Saul, we too can succumb to great losses if we lose sight of the greater one within our lives. Listen, it's easy from this vantage point, reading it, to look down on Saul and say, oh man, that, 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 
rotten Saul, you know, oh my God, and judge him. But we have to go past where he went wrong and examine what God says to us in order to avoid falling for the lies that he fell for so that we can live aligned with the greater one within us and experience all the life change that comes through this gospel message of Jesus Christ. And to do so, we must consider God's word. And so for the next couple of moments that I have here, I want you to turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And just for context here, I, wanna, I, I, I want you to understand that First and Second Timothy are written by inspiration of the Holy Spirit by, by the Apostle Paul. And he's writing to Timothy, and what you'll find is that they are letters of encouragement, but they're also letters of instruction. See, Timothy was a pastor, but he was the pastor of what was known to be the largest church in his day. And, you know, I, I wasn't there, but I can understand how Timothy had to navigate many different things. It wasn't easy. I, I remember one time my wife was telling me, I, I don't know, some, something, uh, one of our teams or somebody came and they saw the office and they, they saw everything that was going on and they said, man, I thought you guys just pray and read the Bible all day. I wish. I wish it was just writing sermons and studying the Bible and praying. Listen, it... it there's, there's a price. You know, they're, they're, this is real. I'm not complaining, by the way. But what I'm saying is that in light of that, I understand the tone and, and the context for, from which Paul is writing. The book of Revelations, I believe it's chapter 2, um, it gives us, uh, it, it's, it, it, it details for us the words of Jesus to the Apostle John while he's on an island called Patmos. And he's literally telling him, write this letter to this church. Write this letter to that church. And he says, and to the angel of Lystra, and to the angel of Thessalonica. And when he's talking about the angel, he's talking about the pastor. And so when it comes to Ephesus, which many theologians theorize it was Timothy that this was going to, the scriptures say that Jesus says to Timothy in this letter, you excel in all these things. I know of all your good works and your great acts of faith and, and, and you know, how, how, you, how you excel and you're strong in all these areas. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You've forgotten your first love. You've gone lukewarm. The reason why I share that with you is because it gives us some insight into where Timothy might find himself when we read these words. And I believe that what I'm saying to you is accurate. Listen to the words of Paul by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the words of God to Timothy and to us. He says, I remember your sincere and unqualified faith. The surrendering of your entire self to God in Christ with confident trust in his power, wisdom, and goodness of faith, which first lived in the heart of your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice. And I am confident that it is in you as well. So get, get what Paul's saying here. Get what God's saying here. I remember the faith by which you stood. So watch this. Verse 6. That is why I remind you, because you've forgotten something, Timothy. 
And hey, if the shoe fits, don't wear it. Heed, heed to the truth and let's change it. But watch what it says here. He says, that is why I remind you to fan and to flame the gracious gift of God. The inner fire, the special endowment which is in you through the laying on of my hands with those of the elders at your ordination. For God did not give us a spear of timidity or cowardice or fear, but he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of sound judgment and personal discipline. Abilities that result in a calm, well-balanced mind and self-control. I want you to notice what the scripture says. In you is not a spirit of fear. Fear is not a spirit. You You don't see that in scripture. You can't show. Somebody find it for me, please. Somebody correct me. But I'm just saying. There's nowhere in Scripture where it tells us that fear is a spirit. But what the Scripture is saying here in context is this, that the way God has created you as a child of God does not consist in fear. But what you do consist of is power, love, and a sound mind by which you can appropriately dominate your thoughts and submit to the truth of God's Word. But notice this in verse 6. You and I play a part. He says, fan into flame the gracious gift of God. You know, when it talks about fanning into flame here, you know what it's talking about? It's literally referring to an ember. So, so here's, here's a picture that we need to wrap our heads and, mind, and hearts around. There's a fire and it's blazing. Right? The wood's there, but all of a sudden, this fire begins to die down. And what the scripture's saying is, you see that little ember there that's hot and red? He says, take that little ember, and you blow on it. You fan that thing. In other words, this power, this love... And this sound mind that you possess is never meant to be extinguished. It's never meant to go out. It's always supposed to be alighting your life. Stirring it up. In other words, you and I must continue to stir up the fire by by placing a great emphasis on what God's spirit is doing in you and I, and what God has placed in you. The first point that I want to leave you with here today is simply this, that this ember, this flame, this fire that God has placed within you requires that you and I live with power. Live with power. Listen, God has equipped you with power, and this power is necessary in order for the principles revealed in God's word to work. Let me share with you what God says in his word in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 20. Everybody say this with me. I love Pastor Jose. I'm, I feel better already because I know you're not offended. But listen to what the scripture says to you and I. 1 Corinthians 4.20, for the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. Listen to what the scripture is saying. 
We don't just talk about the power of God. We don't just rejoice about the power of God. We don't just declare that we serve a powerful God. We don't just sing songs about the power of God. We don't just go and hear about the power of God. This kingdom of God in you consists on you and I walking in this power. We can't just talk about power. We got to live in it. Somebody got keys? Give me, give, give me a keys, brother. Give me, just, just pop them over here. Oh, okay. I got a good set of keys. We got a key to a Ford. This got to be a truck because I have a truck. We got a keys to a Ford. We got keys to a Nissan. Ooh, we got keys to a Mercedes. All right? Some good keys here. I'm going to put these in my back pocket. Now watch this. Right now, I have access to drive and to go and to navigate wherever I want in three cars of my choice. I may just take that Mercedes after we're out of here. But listen closely. I have the power to do that. But what good is it if all I do is just talk about the Mercedes? and talk about the Ford, and talk about the Nissan, but I never take the keys and go somewhere with it. Are you, listen closely, power is useless if it's not used. God has not called you to an empty faith. God has not called you to live by talk. He's called you to live by power. This kingdom is established and built on the power of God. Now remember you said you love me. And listen to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10 verses 18 and 19. Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And I've given you authority to trample on snakes And scorpions, watch this, and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. No thing will harm you. Listen, if you're going to fan into flame the power within you, you must know how to use that power. You must know the intent and purpose of that power. You must, you must know where the bullseye is with this power. This power is not for little old me and me, my foreign, no more. This power is not for me to just increase, right, in my possessions and all that. Listen, that's all good. That all comes with the package. But I want you to see the words of Jesus. Let's put that back up, please. In Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Let me tell you one thing about this enemy that we have, Satan. Let me, let, me, let, me just, let me just tell you something. Because for some of us, we spend too much time rebuking the devil. Listen to what I'm saying. Devil, I rebuke you. Devil, I rebuke you. 
The scripture says that we overcame him by the blood of the lamb. Watch this. And the power of our testimony. You know what your testimony is? Your testimony is not what you feel. Your testimony is not where you've been. Your testimony is not where God brought you from. Your testimony is Jesus Christ living in you. The power of God, the blood of Jesus that has set you apart. That has called you holy. That has anointed you and calls you an overcomer. And listen closely. Here we are rebuking the devil when all we're supposed to do is testify the truth. Just speak the truth. You know, everybody gets excited about the book of Isaiah where it talks about no weapon formed against me shall prosper. But you forget the second half. And every tongue that rises against you, you shall condemn. How do you condemn the lies of the enemy? You speak and you, you walk and you, you live and you talk according to the truth that God has placed in you. Man, Acts chapter 2, verses 17 through 19 says this, And it shall be in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit upon all mankind. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see divinely prompted visions, and your old men shall dream divinely prompted dreams. Even on my bond servants, both men and women, I will in those days pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will bring about wonders in the sky above and signs attesting miracles on the earth below. Listen, God wants you to walk in the power, in in the ability and the power that he's placed within you. Listen closely. God wants you to walk with this understanding. He's giving you power and ability for this reason to perceive that which is spiritual. The Bible says that we walk by faith, not by sight. Okay? By sight. So he's given us the power to perceive that which is spiritual. But this power also gives us the ability to see that which is to come. And what we also see is that this power gives us the ability to speak by divine inspiration. And lastly, this power gives us the ability to release miracles. Now I know for some of us, you know, we might be on the fence on that one. Oh, you know, miracles are back in the day. This past Friday was an interesting Friday because every plan that we had didn't pan out. Woke up in the morning and my wife, I hear my wife go, what? And I'm like, what? (laughs) What? And she goes, no, no, no. And she's reading a text. And she says, I I won't mention this person's name, good friends of ours. We've known them for many years. Um, At one time, we each individually pastored one of their children, my wife and I. Um, And so the message was that the wife in this family was in a comatose state in Orange Medical. That she was on life support and that the doctors were saying, there's, there's nothing else we can do. We're just going to keep her comfortable. So I pick up the phone. I call the husband. It had been a while since we've spoken, and we, we start talking. And, and I asked him two questions. I said, what do you believe in the midst of this situation? 
He says, Pastor, I believe what God's word says. I believe that she's not done. We've always stood on our faith. I said, before your wife found herself in this situation, before it got to this point, what, what was your wife, where was she at? He says, Pastor, she, she was standing on the word of God. She was actually encouraging people to stand on the word of God. I said, okay. I said, I'm on my way. So me and my wife, we, we, you know, we get going and we get over there. And as we're driving over there, we're both praying in the spirit and, you know, just kind of just quiet, but just talking to the Lord. And, and as I'm talking to the Lord, I, I, a scripture just rises up within me. And you got to understand, this is what my heart's been full of all these days. Not just all these days, but I've, th- this is one of my go-to scriptures. I'm going to read it to you in a second, so you can turn there if you like to Psalm 91. I don't believe we're going to put it on the screen, and that's all right. I just want you to listen to it, but you can go ahead and get it for yourself if you want. But as I'm driving over there, I'm meditating on Psalm 91, and I, and I sense the Holy Spirit say to me, read Psalm 91 to her. I said, yes, sir. And as I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking about first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. And I feel the Holy Spirit say to me, tell her to stir up her faith. I said, yes, sir. And then as we're, we're drawing close and we're almost there, I'm reminded of Isaiah 53, 5. He was bruised for your transgressions. He was crushed for your iniquities, the chastisement, the punishment for your peace was upon him. And by his stripes, you were healed. And so, look, I get it. The scripture says that you shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And I believe that completely. But we got to understand the power of God's word. And we got to understand that the power of God works in a receiving heart, a receptive heart. And so I go, I get there. And when I get there, the, the first thing we're told is the family can all come into the room. Pastors, you can come into the room because there's nothing else we're going to do. She's done. As a matter of fact, when I spoke with the husband, he was sharing with me, and I didn't mention this first service, but he was sharing with me how they told him, listen, you might as well just, just pull it. You know, that's your decision, but they, there's nothing else we can do. She's, it's done. So I get there, and, you know, the report is she's done. There's nothing else to do. Aren't you glad we serve a God? That with men it's impossible, but with God all things are possible. And so I had my marching orders already. So the first thing I do is I walk in there and I speak. I, I see the husband. I see the daughter. I see the son, and I sit with them, and they're distraught. They're broken. They're hurting. And I didn't walk in there like Jesus Jr. and say, oh, how dare you cry? Oh, you of little faith. Do none of that. I said, I just want to encourage you from God's word. And I start to read Psalm 91 to them. And I said, This is your faith, and this is our faith. This is what we believe. And so I want to do what the Word says. We're going to walk in that room, according to the book of James, and we're going to lay hands on her, and we're going to pray. 
And I said, you guys okay with that? They said, let's do it. So now I'm walking with the daughter towards ICU to walk into the, to the ICU area because we were in the waiting area. And as we're walking in, the nurse says, whoa, 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 whoa. She says, nobody's going in the room right now. What's going on? She says, she's got a fighting chance. She's got a fighting chance. She's fighting. I look at her daughter and I said, your mother's not done. So we walk out, go back to the waiting room, and I say to the family, up until this point, what you were told was there's no hope. There's no need to do anything else. But we just heard that she's fighting. There's something in her stirring. And so the nurse comes out. She goes, okay, only one person can go into the room at a time. I said, guys, I respect whatever you want. I just like to pray. They said, go ahead, pastor. So I walk into the room, and I see her laying on this bed. She's got tubes all over. Her tongue is slightly sticking out because there's a tube pushing her tongue out the way, and she, she, she's, she's completely unconscious. She's breathing. And I walk in and I say, I'm not going to say her name, I almost said it. But I said to her, I said, this is Pastor Jose. I used to pastor your kids. My wife, Annette, Pastor Annette, she's downstairs. And when we got here, they told us that they were just trying to keep you comfortable because there was nothing else that could be done. I said, but they just told us right now that you're fighting. And I said to her, And I remind you, according to God's word, what's in you. Psalm 91 says this. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence, and he shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day. As I'm reading this, the nurse had stepped out of the room out of respect, but she left the door open. She's standing right by the door, and she's watching this. At first, I didn't realize it, but then I caught out the side of my eye. And this woman that I'm praying for begins to go. (gasps) And all of a sudden, she begins to lift her chin. And I continue to read. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid. Of the terror by night, nor of the hour that flies by day, nor of the pestilence, the sickness, the disease that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways, Hmm. lest you dash your foot against a stone. 
you shall tread upon the lion and the cobra. The, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Sound familiar? It's a promise. Jesus said it. He says, because he has set his love upon me, this is God speaking, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him with long life. I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So I read this to this woman and I begin to tell her, you're not alone. God has given his angels charge over you. And with every ounce of faith in you, according to 2 Timothy chapter 1, you fight, you stir up your faith because God is placing you power and love and a sound mind. You are not done. And then I laid my hands on up. Now, by this time, the nurse who was outside comes in with another nurse, and they walk into the room, and they're looking at the machine. And they walk out. And they walk back in, and they look at the machine again. And they walk back out. I'm just praying. So I'm done. I leave. Done. I walk down. I, I talk with the family. I tell them what I prayed. I told them that she was moving ahead, and they, they start crying. I said, guys, she's not done. Stand on what the Word of God says, and don't allow anyone to come into this room and bring anything that contradicts the Word of God. So we leave. About 6 o'clock that night, my wife reaches out to the family just How's she doing? The daughter says to my wife, Pastor Annette, Pastor Annette, Pastor Annette, I've been wanting to talk with you. She's up. Now, she couldn't talk because of all these tubes in her mouth. But they bring her board. And they told her, they told her that we were there and that we had prayed. And, and she goes, what? And she was like, are they coming back? So now we got to go back. We're going back. Right? But here's my point with this. While she's writing... She writes on the, on, the, on the tablet, whatever it was, to her daughter and the family. And she says, do you see the young nurse sitting in the corner? The daughter says, what nurse? She says, the young one, she's been sitting there the whole time since I've been here. So the daughter says, mom, are you seeing an angel? And she says, yes. Listen closely, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not that spooky guy. But I will tell you this. That the word of God is very clear. That even when pestilence and disease and and attacks and all these things comes our way. He says, it shall not come near your household. He will lift you up. You will not strike your foot on a stone. Because he's given his angels charge over you. Ladies and gentlemen, there is power at work within you. But you must stir that up. Listen, please don't leave here and go, oh, Pastor Jose, you know, yeah, get him to pray for you. Stop. Her faith, she stirred that up. And here she is fighting the good fight of faith. There's so much more I want to say to you, but I got to wrap this up. I'll share this scripture with you just because it's such an important one. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, 1 
says this. Look, we have great power at our disposal. But we have to be very careful that we don't cut this off. 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says this. Do not quench. Do not subdue or be unresponsive to the working and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Don't act like you don't have power because you do. Now, today I'm kind of going to leave you on a cliffhanger, but next week we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit in you. So make sure you're here at Church at the Bridge. You don't want to miss that one because this is going to build right off of that. And I promise you, I don't write my sermons the week of anymore. I used to. I didn't plan this stuff. But I believe that God is speaking loud and clear to, to his people. I believe that you're not here by accident. I believe that you're not watching online by accident. We need to get back to this place where we understand that we serve a God who is powerful and whose power has been authorized and given to us to walk with this power. Listen, this flame within you calls you and I to live with the assurance of God's love. Listen to 1 John 4, 17 and 18. It says, this is how love is made complete. In other words, this is how love is perfected. This is how it comes to full completion. This is how it comes to full circle. This is how it works is what we're seeing here. He says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love. But perfect love drives out fear. Watch this, because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. In other words, you have this power. This great promise of God that he loves you, that he will never leave you, that he will never forsake you, that nothing can separate you from him. But you know what fear does to us? Or actually what we do with fear, according to the scriptures, we punish ourselves. And here's what God says. Who told you that lie? Listen, there is one that comes against the greater one within you. And his language is lies. And the number one thing that he brings into question is the love of God for you and the plans that he has for your life. What he has done within you. Think about this. Whenever you find yourself full of fear, what are we really doing? We're questioning the faithfulness of God. We're bringing into question, did God really say? And has God really done? Now listen, I'm not saying we all will feel fear. Fear will grip your heart at some point. But what's important is what do you do with that fear from that point forward? We're literally immersed in an environment of fear in this time in the world. Can I say something to you? Now is the time for the church to rise. Now is the time for you to be bold. Now is the time for you to do what believers do. Get this. They believe. Believers believe. These are not my words, ladies and gentlemen. 
God has authorized you to trample upon the power of the enemy, to overcome every lie with truth. As we close here today, I want to encourage you that this flame, this, this, this new life, this, this greater one within you calls you and I to live with soundness of mind. Listen, on a daily basis, every one of us has to contend with our thought life. Some of us, we don't even contend with those thoughts. You know what we do? We just follow where they take us. You know, a couple of days ago, um, I've been staying abreast of, of the news and, and, and everything that's coming out of the state government and, you know, federal government and all that. Just trying to be responsible about knowing what's going on and what we're supposed to do. And I remember a couple of days ago going to sleep and I had this horrible dream. Horrible. And I woke up, my heart's beating, and I'm saying to myself, what am I going to do? Listen to the thoughts that were going through my head. Well, if, if this were to happen, then what? What, what about my family? But I have a grandson and, you know, and, and, and the church and, and, and all these other. And, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. 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 Wait, 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 wait. What is going on here? What's going on here? You know, a sound mind is one that takes the authority and drives the thoughts as opposed to being driven by them. And I want to give you a key according to the scriptures on this. Michael, come on up here. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 and 5 says this. It says, the weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to demolish strongholds. You know what a stronghold is? Something that has a stronghold on you. Watch this. We demolish arguments. We, we're hearing the definition of these strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So I want you to understand what the scripture is saying here. That these weapons that we have equip us to fight and overcome and have a sound mind but here's what we're fighting against. Here we are busy rebuking the devil. Here we are, you know, I'll just fill myself up with some positive thinking. Listen, do all that. It's cool. But listen to what overcomes those lies. The scripture says here that we demolish arguments. That word arguments there means hostile imaginations. So I wake up and all these imaginations are running. And, and, and I start to tell myself, oh my God, and then when this happens, and then when that happens, and then it's going to turn out like this. Come on now, don't look at me like I'm strange. You've been there. We all do this. You just go with the thought. The Bible says 
that we demolish those hostile imaginations, those thoughts, and every pretension. That word pretension there refers to a rampart. It's an elevated structure. It's a barrier that's set up as a defensive mechanism. So watch what the scripture is saying here. It's saying that the thought comes and it begins to talk to you. You better watch out what's going on. Come on, thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Corona, you're going to get this, you're going to get that. All these things are going to happen. And watch this. The thought begins to kind of play in your head, right? And you begin to kind of, your imagination kind of begins to go there. And you begin to envision the entire world collapsing, right? And everything goes sour, right? And, and everything goes wrong for you. And all these things are happening. And watch what's dangerous about those thoughts, that we take those thoughts and we perceive them and receive them as true. And all of a sudden, that thought exalts itself. Now, here's what that thought does. It sets itself up. Here's the truth of God's word. And it's coming against this, this, this thought, this lie. And this thought's intent is to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. But watch the power of a sound mind at work. He says that we demolish these hostile imaginations and every rampart, every lie that has set itself up in defense, that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. Watch this. And we take the thought captive. That word captive means to arrest. Here's what it doesn't mean. Excuse me, thought. Could you please leave my mind? No, the Bible says we arrest. We take captive. We tear that thought down, the scripture says. Watch this. Wait, wait, we're not done. We're not done. And the scripture says, you take that thought captive, you arrest it. I've never seen, in my own experience, and I've had some experience, I've never seen an officer say, could you please just put your hands behind your back and just, 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 just let me, you know, can I, can I put these on you? I've never seen that. No, 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 no. Get your hands behind your back. Right? We're going to take you captive. Watch this. But watch what happens. Just like an officer who knows the law. And so because the law backs him, he now enforces his authority and he arrests this wayward. This wayward person who is deviating from the truth that has been established. The scripture says that we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, watch this, and we take every thought captive to make it obedient to Christ. You know what the scripture is telling us? Here's how you employ a sound mind. You take the truth and you say, wait, 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 wait. This is a lie. But it's not enough to just identify the lie. No, 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 no. You have to combat that lie with truth. So you know what I had to do that morning? The good work that he started in me, he shall complete until the day of Jesus Christ. I'm not done yet. 
No weapon formed against me shall prosper. And I cast down every tongue that rises up against me because greater is he who is within me. God has created me for good purposes. He's anointed me. He's chosen me. He's appointed me. He's called me. I am the head. I'm not the tail. No plague shall come nigh my household. Listen, I start taking these thoughts and I start saying, come on, Jose. And man, I'm ready to punch a hole through the wall. Thank you, Michael. Before I, I was about to punch him, but then I was like, no, that's not going to be good. But what I want you to see is this. In you is love, power, and a sound mind. And God says to you, not just in these times, but on a daily basis, employ the love of God, the power of God, and the soundness of mind that he's giving you. And remember that what's in you is greater than he that's in you. Hey, friends and family, thanks again so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. We pray that God spoke to you directly through this message. And if he did, we want to know. Send us a message on Facebook or Instagram. You can even give us a call at the office to let us know how God spoke to you. Don't forget to also share this message with a friend, a co-worker. Share it on your social media stories. You never know who in your life may be blessed by this word. Thank you again for checking out our weekly sermon podcast, and we'll see you next week.